This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. At first you feel the tremulous rumbling, then the faint smell of sulfur smoke. The spectral tracks appear in the mist, and the red light, like a demon's eye, cuts through the darkness. Screaming down the track, the transcontinental terror is making its nightmarish run. Braxton on Wise Talk 95.7. He respects your opinions. What is wrong with you stupid people? According to the best-selling book, the K in Y2K stands for kill. You've got less than a month to get off your duffs and get prepared. Go buy a mess of canned food, water, and for God's sake, toilet paper. I don't want you to panic, but all the computers will shut down at midnight on the 31st. It'll be 2000, and the computers will think it's 1900. It's the government's plot to gain control of the internet. Wake up! Let's go to line two. I hope it's somebody with half a brain. Talk to me. Did, did I hear right? Did we give away the Panama Canal? Oh, yes. You can thank the peanut farmer ex-president for that. He gave away the farm. Only it wasn't his farm. That would have made more sense. Now it's official, so be ready. The time will come when it'll cost you an arm and a leg and a bushel of peanuts to go through the canal, assuming it still functions after they take it over. What can we do about it? Grab some shovels and start digging our own canal across Texas. Next caller. Ah, yes. Uh, good evening. Um, as a visitor to your town, your 
Rather quaint little Hamlet, I must say. Yeah, get to the point. Your opinions tend to obfuscate the true and important facts that require thoughtful, attentive, and careful consideration. Blah, 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 the... blah. Hold it, hold it, Limey. I'm not going to let some foreigner call up and badmouth America. Where are you from, anyway? Pittsburgh. Oh, my aching head. My producer is signaling me that I've run out of time for this segment, so let's take a break. You're listening to Good Sense with Brad Braxton here on Wise Talk 95.7. Two minutes, Brad. You've really got them riled up today. Oh, yeah, like it's hard to rile up a bunch of backwood podunk hicks. Let me out of this backwater berg and into the big time. I take it the audition tapes you sent out didn't pan out? Bunch of blind and deaf idiots. They say I need a rep to move up. How can I get a reputation in this one-horse town where the main export is boredom? I need to come up with something just out there enough that will put me on the map. You could always be original. And be nice to your callers. Oh, nice schmice. Nobody likes nice. Talk radio is all about conflict. Take a stand on a bunch of lunatic ideas and confirm that anybody that disagrees with you is a worthless pile of bovine excrement. (sighs) Talk radio would be a lot better if it weren't for all those pesky callers. Make it a solo show. I could do that. In a heartbeat. But the owners won't let me. They keep saying, be a part of the community, welcome opinions, make people think you're the guy next door. Yeah, but out here, the guy next door could be the Unabomber. Ten seconds. Ten seconds. Ten years. It's all the same. I'm stuck here, surrounded by the most idiotic, ridiculous... On the air. I'm back, all you wonderful, intelligent people. I love talking with you and sharing opinions. What you have to say is important. What I have to say is even more so. Let's go to line three. Harvey, talk to me. President Clinton should never have been impeached. He's done so much for this country. Hold it right there, muffinhead. The only thing Slick Willie has done for this country is to give the Oval Office a whole new reputation. And while he was getting his Willie slicked, where was Hillary? I'll tell you where she was. She was with her political compadres planning out a path to the White House. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with... Harvey, go smoke some more mushrooms or whatever is turning your brain into mush. Get out of my life, Pinko. Brat, I hate to break in. I'm sure you do, Lydia. But you're on the air now. Go ahead, steal my show. I have a weather update. Here's a weather update. It's a blizzard. Stay home. Actually, that's what I was going to say. The weather service is predicting another three inches tonight. Ever say that to your husband, Lydia? So, if you don't absolutely have to be out on the roads, stay home. Looks like I'll be overnighting in the studio. (laughs) Care to share a sleeping bag, Lid? And that's our weather update. Back to you, Brat. Concise as always. Tell you what, Lydia, you take a break and I'll play phone roulette. No screener. Just raw, uncensored callers. I don't know if that's a good idea. Take a hand, Lid. Go get me some coffee. And some hot bear claws. Okay. You're now without a screener for the next few minutes. Excellent. Hello, caller. Whoever you are, what's on your little mind? Is it supposed to snow more tonight? Oh, for God's sake. No, the sun should come out about 9 p.m. one hour from now and turn the snow into daffodils and lilacs. Oh, Thank you. Goodbye. I can see her now, taking off her mucklucks and slapping on the SPF 50. Hello, next caller. What's on your BB-filled mind? Help me. If you're helpable, I'll help. What do you need help with? Help me. You're repeating yourself, dearie. What do you need help with? Accident. Car ran off the road. You saw an accident? Why are you calling me? Although I do appreciate the big news scoop. I'm, I'm in car in in the snow. 
You mean you've had an accident, or are you saying that you were your parents' accident? Please, help. Wait a minute. This isn't a put-on? Where are you? Ditch. Snow. Why call me? Call 911. Fingers smashed. Can't see. Just pushed button at random. I'm in your call list? My husband calls you. Oh, well, I admire his good taste. So cold. Please help. Uh, is your motor still running? No. No, I think I hit a tree or something. Motor, motor dead, smoking. Can't move my left arm, right hand broken. Oh, um, where are you? Where did you go off the road? Don't know. Got lost. Are you in town on one of the farm roads? Haven't seen a building or a car for, for a long time. Okay, uh, stay calm. Do you have a blanket or anything? Can't reach. Can't move. What's your name, sweetheart? Caroline. Okay, Caroline, I'm going to get you some help. It's so cold. I know it is, sweetheart, but, but hang in there. Lydia! I'm coming, I'm coming. Here's your coffee and bear claw. Never mind the goodies. We got a situation here. No coffee, Creamer. I'm serious, damn it. What's the trouble? I've got a caller on this line. She's crashed her car in the snow. It doesn't know where she is. Oh, my God. I know some people to call to get her some help, but I need you to stay on the line with her until I get those calls done. Can you do that? Yes, I can do that. Let me get into the booth. Hold on. Hurry. Uh, Caroline, you still there? Uh, I'm here. Who is this? This is... Brett Braxton, the guy you called. Listen, I've got to leave you for just a few minutes. No. Caroline. No, don't leave me. I won't leave you long. My friend Lydia will talk to you while I make some calls to get you out of the snow. Is that okay with you? You'll be back? I'll be back. Promise? Promise. Cross my heart. Here I am, Brett. Okay, Lydia, I'm turning off my mic now. You get on those calls. Who, Who is this? This is Lydia. I'm the show producer. What? The show pro... Never mind. It's not important. Brad is making some calls to get you rescued. He's very nice. If you say so. Where were you headed, Caroline? Checking on the grandkids. I'm sorry, Caroline. I couldn't hear that last part. You're breaking up. My car? Breaking up? No, your, your signal. So cold, so sleepy. Caroline, don't fall asleep. What? I can't hear you very well. Your phone signal is weak. How's your battery? Don't, don't know. Engine won't start. No, dear. Your phone's battery. Oh. Bat- battery. Where, where is it? Battery? Did you lose your phone? There should be an icon on your screen. You can what? Icon. Um, a little picture that looks like a rectangle. Like a battery. Oh. Hard to see. I think I... I... I think I see it. How many little white boxes are there in the rectangle? Hard, hard to see. Can't make out one, one, I think. Oh, dear. Caroline, um, tell me about yourself. Uh, uh, are you married? Her- Harry. Harry? That's your husband? Yes. He's not here. He, he's been sick. I'm sorry to hear that. Hello, Caroline. Who, who, who is this? This is Brad. I'm back. I've gotten you some help. You know where I am? Uh, Not yet, but they've got somebody at the phone company looking up your phone to see what cell towers you're near. That gives us a place to start looking. Caroline? Caroline? My phone's almost out of power. No, no, it can't crap out now. 
Caroline! Oh, thank God, you're still with us. Why can't I wiggle toes? We'll have your toes wiggling in no time. Lydia, you can hang up, cover the phones, keep them clear of callers. I got in touch with a friend of mine at the police department. When he calls, connect me immediately. She... she... gone? Don't worry, Caroline. We're both here for you. Time for bed. What? No, 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 not time for bed. Do not go to sleep. Sleep, yes. No! Stay awake, Caroline. Talk to me. Tell me about your family. Any kids? Three, two. Three or two? Lost daughter a few years ago. I'm so sorry. Car accident. Oh, um... What do you do in your spare time? I'm... Any hobbies? Hobbies. Sewing. That's wonderful. Uh, do you make clothes? Or... Singer. Is that your sewing machine? Singer. I... I... I sing. Get out of here. Really? I... I used to sing... sing with a band. Caroline? Caroline? Saxophone. What? Husband Harry tenor sax. Oh, amazing. Um, did you have a favorite song? Favorite? Yeah, the one you liked to sing the most. I'm just wild about Harry, and he's just wild about me. That's lovely, Caroline. Brad, I have that call you've been waiting for. Great. Caroline, don't hang up. I'm going to patch the police sergeant into this call. Police? Sergeant! Can you hear me? Yes, Brad. Good news. The phone company gave us enough information to find the general area she's in and what road she's probably on. That's great. We're driving out there now along with the plow and the fire rescue. They're coming? Yes, they're on their way. Is there anything you could do to help them find you? Can you blink the headlights or blow the horn? Wait, wait. Yes. We should be in the area in a few minutes. I'll tell you when she should start blowing the horn. I'll call back then. They're coming to find you, Caroline. Brat, the board is lighting up with dozens of callers sending hopes and prayers. That's great, but keep a line open for when the sergeant calls back. Will do. Caroline, you just need to hold on. Talk to me. Tell me about when you were a singer. Where did you perform? Clubs. Small. People would dance... Dance. Stay with me, Caroline. What's the biggest place you played? Dance. Concentrate, Caroline. What's the biggest club you played? Lindy's in in Tucson. Harry would knock him dead. That's that's wonderful. Harry is sick. He he, he's in, in bed. You'll see him soon, Caroline. He's playing his sax. What? Can can you hear it? He's playing. He's playing. Yes. Yes, I can hear it. I'm just wild about Harry. And Harry's wild about... Wild about you, Caroline. And you'll see him again. Caroline? Brat, line three. Talk to me, Sergeant. We should be close now. Tell her to honk her horn. Great. Caroline, honk your horn. Honk? Your horn. Give it a honk. Oh, okay. Not not very loud. It's probably your car's battery. Brat, I'll blow my siren. See if she can hear us. Caroline, 
Listen for a siren. Did you hear that? It's so quiet. Sarge, she can't hear you. Please, you've got to find her before... We're gonna save her. You're running out of time. I told you we have this. Caroline. Caroline. I've lost her signal. I've lost. Wait, over there. I think they found her. Yes, down the embankment. The first responders are moving down. Is she all right? Is she still... Can they open the door? They're getting the jaws of life. Come on, come on. Flying. Come on. Flying. They've got it. They've got the door open. Careful. Careful. She's out of the car. Hold on. She's on the stretcher. They're, they're looking her over. They're giving me a thumbs up. She's all right. Oh, thank God. You saved her. No, you saved her. God bless you, brat. We're going to the hospital now. I'm signing off. She's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. She's going to be with Harry again. Folks, I... I really don't know what to say. I I can't take any calls right now. I'm, I'm too... Oh, I just can't. Uh, Lydia, find some music to fill to the top of the hour. I, I've, 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 I've got to have some quiet now to, well, to think about how, how life, every life, is precious and how we take things for granted that we, uh, we should all look out for each other. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, This is Brad Braxton on Wise Talk 95.7. Good night, everybody. Good night, Charlene. It's a wonderful thing you did, Brad. No, 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 no. It was fate that had her call me. Fate or not, you did what you needed to do to help her. And because of your quick action, she's going to be okay. I guess so. You know, I've always thought, I mean... That whole annoying host persona. Well, let's just say that I've seen the real Brat Braxton tonight, and I like him. Lydia, I, uh... Look, Lydia, if you're really planning on staying here tonight, there's a cot in the storeroom. Why don't you call it a night? I'll do that. What about you? I don't think I'll be able to sleep. I'll just sit here and enjoy the music. Do you need... I'll, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. You just go get some sleep. Good night, Brat. Good night, Lydia. Let me turn down the music here. Wise Talk 93.7 Hotline, this is Brad. Brad, it's me, Charlie. Sergeant, good to hear from you again. <laughs> you did great work tonight. I'm proud of you, boy. It was nothing, Brad. I had everything I needed right here in my home studio. Sirens. <coughs> Jaws of life. 
But why the short notice? Because the conditions were just right for this. It isn't every day the fates hand you a blizzard. You have to strike when the iron is hot. Or in this case, when it's freezing. <laughs> well, Orson Welles has got nothing on you, Brett. Very realistic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure everybody fell for it. The big market stations are going to fight tooth and nail to get you now. That's the plan. And remember, you'll be right at my side as my producer. Say, Brett. Yeah? Who's the woman? Woman? Caroline. Oh, right, her. Um, She's a wannabe actress, I know. I just gave her an idea of what to say, and she ad-libbed the whole thing. Wow, very believable. Well, let me know when the offers start coming in. It's you and me from now on, Brad. You said it, Charlie. Bye. <laughs> yeah, you and me. But mostly me, sucker. <sighs> After this show, I could use a little libation. I do believe I have a bottle of the good stuff in my office just for an occasion like this. Big time, here I come. Oh, I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. This has been Help Me, a play written by John Bell and Becky Beach. Featuring John Bell as Brett, Becky Beach as Caroline, Jolene Roxbury as Lydia, and Pete Lutz as Sergeant slash Charlie, with phone-in voices by Leland Kerwin and Gene Williams, plus special guest star caller David Alt, and Jeff Billard as the voice of Wise Talk 95.7. Copyright 2020 by John Bell Creative, LLC. Thank you for listening. We all need help, Brat. But the best help is self-help. And now you're all on your own, as you board with a single ticket on the train. But if you want a group effort, perhaps you'll enjoy Pete Lutz's White Zombie. 63 Audio presents White Zombie an audio drama adapted from the 1932 film originally starring Bella Lugosi, starring Christy Glick as Madame Murder with Mark Kalita, Kendra Murray, and Eileen Corpus. Adapted for audio and directed by Pete Lutz, the action takes place in Haiti in 1932. White Zombie. It's a funeral, mademoiselle. They are afraid of the men who steal dead bodies. So they dig the grave in the middle of the road where people pass all the time. Well, that's a cheerful introduction for you to our West Indies.
Driver, there's a woman up ahead, alongside the road. Stop and ask her. Whoa! Pardon, madame, but do you know where is the house of Monsieur Beaumont? Madame, what are you doing? Look into my eyes, beautiful lady. Uh, no, I... I say, what on earth? <laughs> that is all. Farewell, mademoiselle. I shall see you again. Zombies! A la vite! Allez! Farewell, and for your lovely scarf, merci! <laughs> I wonder what that was all about. Her eyes! It felt like hands touching my throat! Why did you drive like that, you fool? We might have been killed. Worse than that, monsieur. We might have been caught. Caught? By whom? Those men we saw? They are not men, monsieur. They are dead bodies. Dead? We, oui, monsieur. Zombies. The living dead. Corpses taken from their graves who are made to work in sugar mills and fields at night. Look! Here they come! Look! Look! Oh, excuse me, please. Have have you got a match? Ah, did I frighten you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm ugly enough, I suppose. No, it wasn't you. Something happened back on the road there. We stopped to speak to a woman. Our driver saw some men coming over the hill, then told us that they weren't men at all. He said they were corpses. Corpses? <laughs> Surely you don't believe it, do you? No. Ah, uh, but I don't know. Haiti is full of nonsense and superstition. They are always mixed up with a lot of mysteries that will turn your hair gray. I've been a missionary here for over 30 years, and at times I don't know what to think. Come, let's go in the house. Oh, yes. Come, dear. Is Mr. Beaumont in? You have expected, Dr. Brunner. Yes, I've been sent for to marry someone. Maybe, hmm? (laughs) (laughs) How long is it that you've known Mr. Beaumont? Oh, only a few days. Madeline introduced him on the docks in Port-au-Prince. Ah, 
Und you? I met him on the ship coming from New York. He was very kind during the voyage. Madeline and I planned to be married the moment she arrived. But Mr. Beaumont persuaded us to come here. And he promised to take me out of the bank at Port-au-Prince and send me to New York as his agent. Hmm, strange. Very strange. You. Ah, uh, Silva, still here? Did you want something? No, Dr. Brunner. I'll tell Mr. Beaumont you were here. Yeah. It's all right, isn't it, Doctor? Oh, I guess so. You see, I... I've only met Mr. Beaumont once or twice, but he never struck me like the man who would take the trouble to play fairy godfather to a young couple like you. Unless... Hold on a moment. Unless what, Doctor? Hmm, just missed him. Little butlers have big ears, eh? <laughs> so I suppose you both will think I am a meddling old fool, but you know I'd feel a good deal better if you'd clear out of this place after you're married and have nothing more to do with Mr. Beaumont. The young people have arrived, sir, and Dr. Brunner. They are waiting in the reception hall. Show them to the rooms and tell them I'm out. No, wait. Perhaps I'd better see them. It might look odd if I didn't. Very odd, sir, especially as Dr. Brunner is a trifle skeptical as to your motives, sir. Never mind my motives. Has that other person sent word yet? No, sir, not yet. She's 24 hours late. I wish you'd keep away from that woman, sir. What you are planning is dangerous. Don't you suppose I know that, Silver? You don't seem to realize what that girl downstairs means to me. I'd sacrifice everything I have in the world for her. Nothing matters if I can't have her. him again. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Oh, well, I think, uh, I think you like Haiti. Most people that come here... Madeline, I'm delighted to see you. Neil, you're more than welcome. Thank you, sir. Doctor, it is very kind of you. I know what a busy woman you are. No, uh, not at all. There is a native family living out here that I have been trying to see for a long time. After this young couple are safely married, I will leave. But surely you will stay for dinner after the ceremony. No, 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 no. I must run along. That's a great pity. We have something very special prepared for this occasion. It was very good of you, Madeline, to humor the whim of a lonely man. There was so little time to prepare, I couldn't do half the things I wanted for you. You've done more than enough already, Mr. Beaumont, for a comparative stranger. You've made us so happy, giving Neil a position in the States. Neil? Yes. Yes, indeed. Oh, yes, of course. I'm sure Neil will make a very good agent, but you must be tired after your drive. 
You get some rest. Silver? Yes, Mr. Beaumont? Silver will show you to your rooms. This way, please. Is it Madame Legendre? Is she ready to see me? Very well. Let's go. Lead on. Delighted to see you again, Monsieur Beaumont. Will you shake hands? Hmm, well, please, sit. Quite a place you have here, Madame Legendre. <laughs> Quite the chamber of horrors, eh? These books, are they witchcraft? And what's in all these jars? <laughs> and that mounted head... Did you kill that beast yourself? <laughs> it's no mystery why the natives refer to you as Madame Murder. <laughs> I'm sorry to have kept you waiting, monsieur. I've been on a journey, seeking men for my meals. Men? They work faithfully, and they are not worried about long hours. You saw them just now operating the machinery. You... You can make good use of men like mine on your plantation. No, that's not what I want. Then perhaps we should talk about the young lady who came to your house this evening. You've seen her? When? On the road tonight. She lost this. Madeline Scarf. <laughs> There was a young man with her. They are to be married tonight. You waited too long to do anything. What do you want me to do? If she were to disappear for a month? What do you hope to gain by her disappearance? Everything. <laughs> do you think she will forget her lover in a month? Just give me a month. One little month. Not in a month. Not even a year. I have looked into her eyes. She is deep in love, but not with you. They're to be married within an hour. There must be a way. There is a way. The cost? The cost is heavy. You give me what I want and you may ask anything. Did you see my manservant when you came in? Let me tell you something in confidence. 
<gasps> no, not that. This vial contains your answer, my friend. Only a pinpoint, Monsieur Beaumont, in a glass of wine or perhaps a flower. Take it. The time is very brief. You must do your share if I am to help you. No. Take it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Send me word when you use it. Au revoir, monsieur. I'll find another way. There is no other way. to get ready for my wedding with that infernal drumming. They are driving away evil spirits. Close it! Close it! Mademoiselle, your wedding gown. It is beautiful. Mademoiselle. anything else in this whole world. Heaven or hell lies in this little moment for me. You could raise me up to paradise, or you could blast my world into nothing. I can make you the envy of every woman. I'd give my life to make you happy. Oh, listen to me, dear, before it's too late. Don't, please. Don't go into that room. We can be in Port-au-Prince in half an hour. There's a boat sailing at midnight. You've been so wonderful. Don't spoil everything now. Wait. One last gift, before I lose you forever. Here, please, I prepared this rose just for you. Thank you. Oh, it smells heavenly. I'll add it to my wedding bouquet. Let's go in. We are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the face of this company to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. 
<laughs> While the wedding occurs inside, I have a little ceremony to perform out here. Ah, Vulture, my old friend, so good to see you. Yes, you are my good owner in this special evening. See what I do? I take this candle from the lamp, so. I wrap this scarf, which was the young woman's, around the base of the candle. Now, with my knife, I carve the shape of a special lady. Do you like it, my friend? <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the wedding supper I had prepared for you. This is the night of nights. A toast to the bride, to beauty's queen. Gladly, my lord. Leave but a kiss within the glass. Fair gypsy, take my glass and read my fortune. What do you see in the glass? I see happiness. I see love far more than you can bear. Is that all? No, I see. I see. <gasps> what is it? I see death, death. <gasps> Madeline, Madeline, what's wrong? Madeline, my dear, please. And now, my friend, I hold the carved figure over the flame of this other candle. And as it melts... Madeline! Madeline! Can't we do something? Please! Please! Madeline! Not my wife! My wife! I can't feel a pulse. Silver, send someone to fetch the doctor. Oh, Neil, my poor fellow, I hope it's not too late. of our Lord and Savior, and the love of God and the fellowship of his angels be with us evermore. Amen. Curse this darkness. Why must we sneak our way through the cemetery without a torch? My dear Beaumont, our mission is one of secrecy. Do you wish the eyes of the village upon us? Yes, I suppose you're right. <sighs> At least that blasted husband of hers won't be interfering. No, 
How can you be so certain? My man Silver followed Neil to a tavern, watched him as he drank himself silly. Grief causes men to do terrible things. Yes. Apparently the blighter started screaming Madeline's name, clutching at shadows on the wall, and then ran out into the night. Silver told me the look on Neil's face was... Look! Zombies blocking the entrance to Madeline's tomb! Yes. They are my servants. Did you think we could do it alone? In their lifetime, they were my enemies. Here, I shall introduce you. Leto, the witch doctor, once my master. Secrets I tortured out of him. Von Gelder a Schwein, swollen with riches. He fought against my spells until the last. In him yet, I have a struggle, a fight. His Excellence, Richard, once Minister of the Interior. Scarpia, brigand chief. Marquis, captain of the gendarmerie. And this, this is Chauvin, the high executioner who almost executed me. I took them just as we will take this one in her tomb. But what if they regain their souls? They would tear me to pieces. But that, my friend, shall never be. Go in now. Bring the casket out. Set it down here. Remove the upper panel. Ah. Oh, Madeline. Wait, touch a knot. Shh. Do you hear? Yes, poor Blighter's mad with grief. What'll we do? You! Remove the casket to Castle Legendre. Hurry! You and I must hurry ahead of my servants. The young man must not catch us here. Yes, let's go. Madeline. Oh, Madeline. I'm here, darling. I'm here. Shh. 
She's gone. She's gone. Where did she go? That's why I've come to see you, Dr. Bruner. Madeline's casket. Her body. They couldn't have just disappeared. You're the only person that I can trust. Well, my boy, there are two explanations that strike me. Either the body was stolen by members of a death cult that use human bones in their ceremonies, or else... Or else what? She's not dead. Not dead? Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed the certificate. I saw them bury her. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not mad. But I've lived in this island for a good many years, and I've seen things with my eyes that made me think I was crazy. There are superstitions in Haiti that the natives brought here from Africa. Some of them can be traced back as far as ancient Egypt and beyond that yet. In the countries that was old when Egypt was young. Yes, but what has that to do with Madeline? I kissed her as she lay there in the coffin, and her lips were cold. Let me explain. Now, just a minute, I'll explain. Wherever there is a superstition, you will find there is also a practice. Now, do you remember what your driver told you the night that he took you to Beaumont's house? Oh, about those horrible creatures we saw. Yeah. He said they were corpses, taken from their graves. Yeah. That's the superstition. Now, for the practice. The ghouls that steal the dead corpses from their graves are supposed to put them there in the first place. Do you mean that Madeline was murdered so that somebody could steal her dead body? Ah, nonsense. No, no, not her dead, not her, ugh, her body. Yes, but not her dead body. That is what I meant. Well, surely you don't think she's alive in the hands of the natives. Oh, no. Better dead than that. Excuse me, please. Have you got a match? Uh, yes. Here. Danke. <laughs> a terrible habit, yeah? But I picked up such a habit from my papa. This was his pipe. <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? Believe? Oh, yeah. About the living dead. Say, there's been lots of people that's been pronounced dead, that came alive again and lived for years. Now, if nature can play pranks like that, why isn't it possible to play pranks with nature? Oh, 
I don't know. Your driver believed he saw dead men walking. He didn't. What he saw the man alive in everything but this, the head and this, the heart. This man, what they call zombies, are men who live and breathe, yet are not aware of their physical selves. They are mental selves. These zombies, they would walk the earth aimlessly, if not for their keeper, their creator, their master. You see? Oh, the whole thing has me confused. I just can't understand it. Oh, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I've been trying for years to get to the bottom of these things, to separate what you call fact from fiction. Let me see. How can I explain this another way? Ah, yeah, up here on this shelf is the very sink. The law. The law of Haiti acknowledges the possibility of being buried alive. Here it is. In the penal code. I'll read it for you. It's in French. Do you speak French? No. Excuse me, please. Have you got a match? Look, right here on the desk. Here's one. Oh, thank you. I didn't see it there. I'll, I'll translate it for you, if you could spare me. Article... Article 249. The use... The use of drugs... Or other practices which produce lethargic coma or lifeless sleep shall be considered attempted murder. Yes. Attempted. Yes, I see. Yeah, all right now. Wait. If the person has been buried alive, the act should be considered murder, no matter what result follows. Beaumont, say... You said that you couldn't understand why he was so interested in us. Do you think he did this? No, no. I think his natives would. Natives would be right, of course. If you want to, we could go to Beaumont's house first. If I could get my hands on the devil that's responsible for this, I'll make her such an example that... Every witch doctor in Haiti would be shaking in his sandals. But we can't do this alone. Can't the authorities help? The authorities? Neil, my boy, you don't know this island. The native authorities are afraid to meddle. I am not. So, 
I've got friends among senators. They'll tell me things that no gendarme could ever get out of you. <laughs> because I am a preacher, they think I am a magician. Before we get through with this thing, we may uncover sins that even the devil would be ashamed of. Oh, these witch doctors. <laughs> Excuse me, have you got a match? Madeline, your playing is lovely. Oh, why are we wasting time in Legendre's castle? You and I should be on our way to Port-au-Prince. Here, my love, this is for you. See? It's a necklace of diamonds. Let me see it around your neck. There. <sighs> Foolish things. They can't bring back the light to those eyes. I was mad to do this, but if you had smiled on me, I, I'd have done anything for you. Given you anything. I thought that beauty alone would satisfy. But the soul is gone. I can't bear those empty, staring eyes. Oh, forgive me, Madeline. Forgive me. I can't bear it any longer. I must take you back. <laughs> back to the grave, monsieur? No. You must put the life back into her eyes and bring laughter to her lips. She must be cheerful and happy again. You paint a charming picture, monsieur. One that I should like to see myself. You must bring her back. Aren't you a trifle afraid, monsieur? How do you suppose these eyes will regard you when the brain is able to understand? Leave us now, my dear. Better to see hatred in them than that dreadful emptiness. Perhaps you're right. It would be a pity to destroy such a lovely flower. Let's drink to the future of this flower. A glass of wine. Monsieur? Silver, bring wine. We have a toast to drink. Ah, let me have them. For you, my friend. Thank you. To the future, monsieur. Madame, why do you not drink? 
only a pinpoint, monsieur, in a flower or perhaps a glass of wine. You devil! What are you trying to do to me? <laughs> I have other plans for Mamselle, and I am afraid you might not agree. <laughs> I have taken a fancy to you both, monsieur. Silver! Silver! Hey! Monsieur Beaumont! I cannot move! Her eyes! I'm rooted to the spot! Come to me! Come, my slaves! Don't! Don't! Where are they taking him? The future, Monsieur. <laughs> the vulture, you. No! Not that! Not that! Madame Murder! Doctor? Is the castle much farther? I'm sorry, Neil. I know you're not feeling well. I think we should reach the shoreline by nightfall. Then we'll pitch camp. Why did we spend so much time with that old gentleman? Old gentleman? Ah, you mean the local witch doctor. I told you his name is Pierre. I've known him for years. Right, old fellow. He's famous for being the only person who ever came back alive from the castle Legendre. He told me that the natives call it, and the mountain it stands on, the land of the living dead. I thought I heard him talking about evil spirits. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, he did. He also warned us to turn back. But you and I, we've come too far to turn back now, eh? <laughs> now you just sit on your donkey and follow me. And don't strain yourself with talking, my boy. Pierre gave me some good advice. And we'll come out of this alive. And with Madeline in the bargain. <laughs> Well, we made it to the base of the mountain, eh? I think we did fine. We have sturdy lean-to to keep out the sun and weather and plenty of food. And... Ah! Speaking of water, here, Neil, take a drink from the canteen, hmm? I'll help you. He's nearly delirious, poor boy. But he drinks. <coughs> ah, vulture. Let's see how you like this, eh? 
Just as old Pierre said, a cloud of vultures always hovers over the house of the living dead. Madeline? Madeline? Doctor, is she up there? In the castle? No. Oh, I must go and see her. Uh, oh, no. No, no, no. Neil, my boy, please. Please lie down and rest. Please. You'll feel stronger in the morning. You rest. Let me go up and see what I can do. Why is she so restless tonight? She keeps wandering out to the balcony. Perhaps she remembers something. <laughs> they never remember anything when they are like that. No? Because she's cut off. She's coming back in. It's time to get her ready for dinner. Here's her airbrush. Sit down, mademoiselle. Madeline, I know you're up there. I'll find you. What are you waiting for? Brush her hair. No, I can't. I can't touch her. You must. It's your turn. <laughs> Let's run away. No, no, I can't stand it. I'm going to run away. She will find you and back you like her. Helen. It is unfortunate you are no longer able to speak. I should be interested to hear you describe your symptoms. You see, you are the first man to know what is happening. None of the others did. Ah, what is this? You reach out your hand to me. Be careful of my blade as I carve the wax figure. <laughs> You refused to shake hands once. I remember. Well, well, we understand each other better now. I've got to find Madeline!
The young man, eh? He has collapsed at the top of the staircase. <laughs> this will be the perfect irony, Monsieur Belmont. Don't you think? Madeline, come to me. Madeline, come, come to, to me. me. Madeline, come, come to, to me. me. Use the blade on the young man who sleeps up there. My darling, come over here and sit down. Madeline, I found you. I thought you were dead. But look, you're alive. <laughs> alive! What's the matter? Don't you know me? I'm Neil, your husband. Oh, my darling, what have they done to you? I saw you yesterday on the road. Who are you? And what are they? To you, my friend, they are the dangers of death. Blast you! Why don't you fall? Dr. Bruner! They're forcing me toward the edge of the cliff! Ah, Legendra, I've got you now, you devil. Oh. 
Neil, come! Zombies! This way! Ah! How come it was easy to escape them? What happened to the woman? I bopped her on the bean. She's out cold. Look! The zombies! Yeah, without Madame Legendre's mind controlling them, they follow each other off the cliff into the sea. Neil? I... I... No. You are are mine. 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 Only mine. mine. Madeline, don't you know me, dear? It's Neil. I could swear for a moment she recognized you. (laughs) Come on, don't let her get away! Stay back. This will stop you. Neil, stop! It's poison gas! Madam. Come, come to me. You are, you are mine. mine. Come, come to me. me. Mm. Neil, look! It's Beaumont. He's... Uh, he's... Bumba? What are you doing? No! Let me go! Madeline, my darling. Neil, I... I dreamed. Oh, my sweet. Let me kiss you. Excuse me, please. Hey, What is it, Doctor? Excuse me. Have you got a match? That was Pete Lutz's adaptation of the 1932 film White Zombie, created especially for Transcontinental Terror 2020. The story and dialogue were by Garnett Weston, and the screenplay was by Frank Lawrence and Laura May. It was adapted for audio and directed by Pete Lutz. Our cast consisted of the following players. Christy Glick as Madame Murder Legendre, Kendra Murray as Madeline, Eileen Corpus as Dr. Bruner, Phil Boyd Studge as Beaumont and the carriage driver, Mark Kalita as Neil, Chuck Wilson as Silver, Ebony Rose and Dawn Robertson as the maids, and Jackie Ayers as the vulture. Zombie voices were provided by Kyle Thomas, John Bell, Jack Ward, and Arno Eggsleft. Music was by Dr. Ross Bernhardt, Kevin McLeod, Claude Debussy, and Reinhardt Glier. This is CK Standard Speaking, White Zombie was a 63 audio production mixed and mastered in Corpus Christi, Texas. 63 Audio
This is mutual. Nothing like a good white zombie to sink your teeth into, or a stop from Rachel Pulliam's red-headed girl to focus the mind. Old Souls Audio and Dream Realm Enterprises presents Sabine Baring Gould's Haunting Tale, The Red-Haired Girl, adapted as an audio drama by Pete Lutz for the Transcontinental Terror. In 1946, we took residence in a very nice house in Celestial City. An old one, to be sure, built sometime in the late 1800s, but in very good condition. We were a small family, my husband, a teenage daughter, and myself, and we had two servants, a cook and a maid. We'd not been in the house half a month before my daughter said to me one morning, Mother, I do not like Jane. Bessie that's my daughter, was referring to our maid. Why so? She seems respectable, and she does her work systematically. I have no complaints. She may do her work, but I can't stand nosiness. Nosiness? What do you mean? Has she been snooping in your dresser drawers? No, mother, but she watches me. The weather's hot now, and when I'm in my room, I occasionally leave the door open a little when I'm reading or listening to records, and then I'm almost certain to hear her outside my room. If I turn around sharply, I see her slipping out of sight. It's terribly annoying. Honestly, I'm unaware of anything I do that makes me interesting enough to be spied on. Ugh. Nonsense, dear. Are you sure it's Jane? Well, I thought it was her. If not Jane, then who could it be? Are you sure it's not Cook? Oh, no, it's not her. She's busy in the kitchen. I've heard her in there when I've stepped out onto the landing after having caught that girl watching me. If you've caught her, I suppose you've spoke to her about such conduct? Well, caught is the wrong word. I've not actually caught her at it. Only today, I distinctly heard her at my door, and I saw her back as she turned to run away when I went towards her. Didn't you follow her? Yes, of course. But I didn't find her on the landing. Where was she then? I don't know. Didn't you go and see? She just slipped away, disappeared. Well, I can't help you, dear. If she does it again, speak to her about keeping to her duties. But I never have a chance. She's gone like that. It can't be as quickly as that. Somehow it is. And you're sure it's Jane? Mother, who else could it be? And so, the matter ended. For the time being. The next time, a similar matter cropped up. It was from the other side. From Jane herself. She came to me a few days later, and she said with some embarrassment in her tone, If you please, Mom, if you don't like the work I'm doing, I'd rather give my notice. Give notice? Whatever for? I've not found fault with anything up to now, have I, Jane? On the contrary, I've always been happy with the thoroughness of your work. It isn't that, Mom. But I I don't like being watched whatever I do. Watched? What do you mean? You surely don't suppose that I'm running after you as you do your job? 
I assure you that I have more important things to do. No, Mum, I suppose it's not you. Then who do you think is watching you? I think it's Miss Bessie. Miss Bessie? Yes, Mum. When I'm sweeping out a room and my back is turned, I hear her at the door. And when I turn around, I just catch a glimpse of her running away. I see a skirt. Miss Bessie is above doing anything of that sort. Have you seen this person's face? No, Mom. You say you saw her skirt. Did you recognize it? What did it look like? It was a light cotton print. More like a maid's morning dress. Aha! Well, set your mind at ease, Jane. Bessie hasn't got such a skirt as you described. That's as may be, but there was someone at the door watching me who ran away when I turned to look. Jane, this is a true mystery. I'll grant you that. I won't accept your notice. We'll let matters stand till we can look into this mystery and discover the solution of it. Yes, ma'am. I'm quite happy here. But I didn't like to think that I wasn't trusted and spied on wherever I went. A week later, after dinner one evening, Bessie and I were in the front hall, out of earshot of my husband. And just as she was about to climb the stairs to her room, Mother, it isn't Jane. What isn't Jane? And why are we whispering? Oh, you know how Daddy is. He hates mysteries. It isn't Jane who's been watching me. Who can it be, then? I don't know. And what makes you so confident that you're not being watched by Jane? Because I've seen her. Well, at the very least, I've seen her head. When? Where? I was changing clothes after school this afternoon and checking my hair in the mirror... The ceiling lamp was off, so I had the little nightstand light on, so the room was kind of dim. I thought I heard someone make a noise behind me, exactly the same sound I've heard so many times. I didn't turn around, but peered closer into the glass, and I could make out the shape of a woman with red hair. I did turn around then and ran after her, but she ran faster, apparently, because when I reached the door, there was no sign of her. Your door was open? No, shut. But where did she go? I don't know. I looked everywhere in the room, but there was no sign she'd ever been there. I hated to wait so long to tell you, and I just don't know what to think. I'm really upset about the whole thing. I noticed at dinner that you didn't appear well, but I didn't want to question you about it in front of your father. You know how he gets, all fidgety and fussy, if he thinks there's anything wrong with you. But this is an amazing story. It's an amazing fact. You're sure you searched thoroughly. There's no one there? Every corner, from top to bottom. Mommy, will you sleep in my bed tonight? I think it's a ghost. I'm so frightened. Why, Bessie, you haven't called me Mommy since you were eight. But a ghost? Ridiculous. But I made an excuse to my husband and spent the night in Bessie's room. It took her a long time to drop off, but she finally did. And in the morning, she told me... Mother, I think I must have just imagined seeing someone in the mirror. It's probably just the result of nerves. Things have been very hard at school lately. I was greatly relieved to hear this, and had arrived at much the same conclusion as Bessie, but was bewildered all over again by Jane, just before lunch, when she came to me and said... Please, Mom, it, it's only fair to say that it's not Miss Bessie. What's not Bessie? I mean, who's not Bessie? I don't know, Mom. It's a red-haired girl. Jane, be serious. There's no red-haired girl in the house. That may be so, but she's still spying on me, (sighs) Mom. Well, 
How do you know she's red-haired? Because I've seen her. When? This morning. Really? Yes, ma'am. I was going upstairs when I heard steps coming softly behind me. So I turned around, thinking it might be Cook. But it wasn't. I saw a young woman in a print dress and the light coming in through the window lit up her face and the side of her head. And she was a regular carrot top. Did you see her face? No, Mum. She put her arm up when she turned and ran downstairs. I ran after her, but I never found her. How far did you follow her? As far as the kitchen. Cook was there and I said to her, Did you see a girl come this way? And she said, No. Oh, sure, like that. No. And you don't think Cook saw anything? No, Mum. Nothing. She didn't seem very happy about me asking her. I guess I've frightened her since I've been telling her about how I've been followed and spied on. Jane, I think what you need is a pill. A pill, Mum? A pill for your digestion. Something like Carter's little liver pills. You've heard of those. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes. The men on that inner sanctum radio show talks about them all the time. Oh? Well, yes. I believe you are suffering from hallucinations, which are sometimes caused by digestive difficulties. A pill is certain to do the trick. Mom? No arguments, Jane. I know a woman who had a case similar to yours, and this is what she did. So why shouldn't it work for you? Put your mind at ease. This is nothing more than a delusion caused by pressure on the optic nerve. I will give you a pill tonight at bedtime, another tomorrow, and a third the night after that. I'm certain that this will solve the problem of seeing a red-haired girl. You think so, Mom? Didn't I just say so? On consideration, I thought it a good idea to mention the matter to Cook, but I didn't think the matter through in advance, so our conversation didn't go as well as I'd hoped. I went down to the kitchen on the pretext of discussing the dinner menu. When we got to the subject of salad, I blurted out, speaking of tomatoes, who's that red-haired girl everybody's been seeing around the house? Can't say, Mom. I noticed at once that her eyes contracted, her lips tightened, and her face assumed a look that was both half-defiant and half-terrified. She's not a friend of yours? No, ma'am. Then who can she be? Can't say, ma'am. It's very unsettling having a person about the house of whom one knows nothing. No doubt, ma'am. And you can throw no light on the matter? She's no friend of mine. Nor is she of Jane's. Jane spoke to me about her. Has she said anything to you about her? Can't say that I notice, ma'am, all that Jane says. She talks a good deal. The whole thing is very awkward. Most awkward indeed. Very so, (sighs) ma'am. Very well, Cook. Um, a salad with tomato, then? Yes, ma'am. For all I got out of Cook, I might as well have been talking to a log. And indeed, her face looked very wooden as the conversation continued. Things were quiet for a few days, and then Jane approached me one afternoon. Please, Mom, may I have another pill? Pill? Why? Because I've seen her again, the red-haired girl. She was behind the curtains, poking her head out to look at me. Did you see her face? No, she went out with her arm and scuttled away. I see. Well... Instead of you taking a pill, let me recommend an alternative. The next time you see 
Or imagine, you see, this red-haired girl take the whole box of pills and shake them at her. Threaten to give her one and see what that does. But I don't think she'll stop long enough for me to do that. Oh, I think the threat of having them forced upon her every time she shows herself will be enough. I mean, just imagine if Bessie or I acted the same way every time we saw you, shaking a box of pills and threatening to force one between your lips. Why, you'd give notice and be gone at once. Yes, I suppose I would, ma'am. Well, try this with the red-haired girl. I'm sure it'll work. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Sounds reasonable to me. Now, if my daughter Bessie saw any more of this puzzling apparition, I can't say. She spoke to me no further on the matter. But that may have been to avoid upsetting me. As I hadn't seen the red-haired girl yet myself, it was impossible to resolve the question to my own satisfaction. Whether what had been seen was a real person who was gaining access to the house in some unexplained way, or whether she was, as I said before, an apparition. Bessie, dear, is anything missing? No, Mother. She's not stealing anything. And you asked the neighbors? Yes. Even though I didn't want to, I knew what would happen, and I was right. What do you mean? They all looked at me like I was a madwoman, asking if I had seen the strange red-haired girl in the neighborhood. I'm sorry, darling. But what if she, um, if she'd belonged to one of them? If she's mentally disturbed? How they all think I am. Up to now, I hadn't mentioned any of this to my husband, knowing in advance that he'd be no help whatever in the matter. He'd simply make dismissive noises and mutter about women's intuition and refuse to speak any further about the matter. But one day, to my great astonishment, he broached the subject himself. Julia, do you see this? Yes, dear. You have a piece of tissue stuck to your face. I, I know that I have a piece of tissue stuck to my face. It's what's under the tissue that I want you to see. Have you cut yourself shaving, Thomas? Yes, and it bled a great deal, too. I'm sorry, darling. You should be more careful. It was due to no carelessness on my part. Although I do confess that my nerves are so shaken, so broken by married life that I can't always command my hand the way I could when I was a bachelor. You are always free to return to your bachelor life, my dear. But this time it was due to that stupid little red-haired servant girl you hired. Red-haired servant girl? There I was this morning, standing before the bathroom mirror, my face lathered up, razor poised above my right jaw, and just as I began the first downward stroke, I saw that mop of red hair behind me in the glass. She noticed me looking, threw her arms up to hide her face, and ran off. It all happened so quickly, and when I went back to shaving, I saw that I had cut myself. Where did she come from? How am I supposed to know? I, I wasn't expecting to see anybody else in the bathroom. Well, where did she run off to? That wasn't my concern in the moment. My concern was trying not to bleed to death from the gaping wound on my face. Oh, pish, dear. It's just a scratch. All the same, I want that redhead dismissed. I wish she could be dismissed. What? What do you mean? But I didn't answer, Thomas, because I really didn't know what the answer was. I was now the only person in the house who had not seen the red-haired girl, except possibly Cook, who admitted nothing, but whom I suspected knew more than she was letting on, and 
I was by now convinced that what had been seen by Bessie and Jane was something from the supernatural realm, convinced mainly because it appeared to the least imaginative person I knew, my husband. If Thomas could see it, then it was not imaginary. Yet that it was neither living nor corporeal, I was equally certain. I was soon, however, to be added to the list of those who had seen this supernatural creature. Here's how it happened. Bessie was at school, and Cook had gone out to do some marketing. I was headed from the breakfast room to the kitchen stairs to fetch a little funnel I used to refill a brandy flask. Medicinal purposes only, of course, when all of a sudden... My stars! <laughs> oh, ye, ye gods! That was the red-haired girl! Did I really see her? I mustn't have... I better find Jane. Jane! Jane, where are you? Oh, I do hope I don't see her again. Me, Mom? Yes, come down here, please. Oh, Mom, I've just now seen the red-haired girl again. I did as you recommended when I saw her. I shook the pillbox at her, making a loud rattling sound, and she turned and ran downstairs. Did you see her, Mom, as she came down? Why, why, no, you silly child, I didn't see, I didn't see a thing. In that moment, I felt simply ridiculous. I couldn't admit to the girl that I'd seen the apparition, but I had seen and heard her too. She'd been stooping before the kitchen fireplace, red hair all disheveled, striking the fender with a poker. For the next week, nothing happened. No new sightings of our supernatural house guests were reported and the mystery remained unsolved. My husband must have assumed that I had, indeed, dismissed the red-haired servant girl who had caused him to nearly bleed to death, but nothing was said. I guessed as much from a smugness in his demeanor, which usually appeared when he felt he had scored a point in his favor, which wasn't often. However, nearly seven days exactly from my own sighting of the apparition, we came to learn why this red-haired girl had come to visit. The three of us... Bessie, Thomas, and I were at dinner on the soup course when... Good gracious! What was that? It's Cook! Mother! Bessie, Jane, come with me. Oh, Lord, she's on fire! Cook! Oh, no! Jane, help me get her down to the floor. Bessie, the floor matting, let's get it around her to put out the flames. Somebody turn off the burner! Cook, cook, hold still now. Jane, stop that screaming. Help mother and me. Cook, shh, shh. Jane, get to the phone Dear end. Dear me, oh good gracious, what's happened? Thomas, take Jane out of here. She's only frightening Cook. 
Go to the phone and call the doctor. But what about dinner? To hell with dinner! You're useless to me here. Go to the phone and call the doctor. Jane, go with him. Bessie and I helped get Cook to her room, with the poor woman shrieking in pain the whole time. We kept her wrapped in the floor mat until the doctor arrived. She was horribly burnt and wasn't expected to survive her injuries. My daughter and I took turns sitting with her through the night. Finally, she dropped off into a fitful sleep, and a professional nurse arrived from the hospital to look after her. Excuse me, ma'am. Good morning. Oh, good morning, nurse. How is Cook? Did she sleep through the night? Pretty much, ma'am. She's awake and asking for you. Oh, then I'll go to her at once. Lead the way, please. not long for this world, ma'am. Now, Cook, don't talk that way. No, please listen. You deserve to know what happened. All right. I'm listening. Go ahead. Ma'am, it was the red-haired girl did this to me. Yes, ma'am. I was at the chopping block, and the hot oil at the stove suddenly takes fire. I pick up a box of bicarbonate of soda to sprinkle on it, When I see the red-haired girl standing in front of me, she rushes at me. I back away, right into the burning pan, which catches my clothes on fire. So... Oh, Cook, how awful. It's done, and she would never leave me alone till she'd burned or scalded me. You needn't be afraid. It ain't the house she's haunting. It's me, because of what I did to her. Then you know her. She was in service with me as kitchen maid in my last place in Redlawn. I took a sort of hate against her. She was so lazy and so inquisitive. She peeped into my letters, turned out my trunk and my dresser drawers. She was ever prying. And when I spoke to her, she was so saucy. So I hated her. And one day, she was carrying a large pot of boiling water across the kitchen, and I was there too. And I suppose the devil possessed me, for I put my foot out and tripped her up, and boiling water splashed up and covered her face and chest and arms and scalded her so dreadful that she died. And since then, she has haunted me. But now she'll trouble you no further, ma'am. She has done for me what she has always minded to do since I scalded her to death. <laughs> And the doctor says she's not expected to recover. Oh, I feel so bad for her. For both her and the girl. Dear me. No hope? (sighs) And good cooks are so hard to come by. Daddy! What did I say? Never mind your father, Bessie. By the way, Julia, that red-haired girl... Hmm? Oh, she's gone. Gone forever.
The Red-Haired Girl was written by Sabine Baring Gould and adapted for audio by Pete Lutz for the Transcontinental Terror. Featured in the cast in order of appearance were Jerry Elleth as Julia, Delaney Brittingham as Bessie, Tanya Milevich as Jane, Nancy Bueller as the cook, Jackie Ayers as the ghost and the nurse, and Chuck Wilson as Thomas. The Red-Haired Girl was cast and directed by Pete Lutz and Rachel Pulliam with sound effects from freesound.org and post-production courtesy of Old Souls Audio. The music featured in the production was by Joe Hennenfeld, with additional music from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, Storyblocks, and The Purple Planet. This is Rachel Pulliam wishing you pleasant nightmares. Finally, as the horizon threatens morning, we present a lighter tone stop with Jack Ward and John Bell's Plague Studies, with apologies to our favorite snakes, Monty Python. Hello, Mrs. Peters. Busy day ahead of you. Can't be. Market's closed. Oh, I know. I know. All the shops are closed. Plague, don't you know? Plague? Pooey. Plague. It's a conspiracy, it is. Oh, I know. I know. They call it the Black Plague, but it's all for nonsense. Oh, I know. It's the government, you know. The king? Oh, not just the king. The queen, too? I don't know, of course. I mean, the cardinal and the bishops and the old poop. Which old poop is that? You know, the flashy fellow with the big hat. Oh, the poop pope. Are you saying the church is involved? Oh, yes, yes. They want a one-flat-earth government, you see. Oh, I know, I know. It's how they'll take away our rights and privileges. What rights and privileges? You know, our right to work 20 hours a day, our right to defecate in the streets. Doesn't the entire Vatican operate because of taxes and tithes? No, the priests have a small white collar. They don't wear ties. Not ties! Tithes! Ew, say it, don't spray it! Doesn't the archdiocese need donations to operate the churches? And? And the king and all the duke and barons need taxes to run the kingdom! And? So why would they do it? Do what? It makes no sense that the king, the queen, the cardinals... And the old poop. And the pope would make a fake pandemic to destroy the economy because they're only hurting themselves. Oh? They get rich from making sure us peasants are gainfully employed, don't you know? Bah! What? Bah! Go ahead, be a sheep. Follow all the little multitudes to the pins where they size you up for slaughter. No, not me, not by gum. No need to get salty. Well then, what do you think this is happening? I suppose you think it's God's wrath. God? Yes. No, 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 no.
Well, maybe. Right. Well, at least we sorted that out. I don't think the church can do anything to help. Are you saying asking the church for forgiveness isn't a cure? No. And joining the flagellants to punish yourself for your sins isn't a cure either? No. Well, look at you. Are you just the medicinal leech? What do you think is the cause and cure of this plague, then? I think it's nits. Nits? Nits! Well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. Creatures that can barely be seen, who barely even nip at you, are responsible for what they call the Black Death across the countryside. Huh? You're a loony. Am not. Am too. Am not. Am too. Well... Didn't your Roger die of the plague? Of course not. Where did you hear that? False tidings. I heard he had a fever and the chills. Well, he did have the fever and the chills. But he's better now. And the abdominal pain and weeping blood. Oh, better now. Really? Of course. Well... Why hasn't he been to the mill all week? Well, of course he hasn't been at the mill. He's resting. Resting? Yes, resting. He told me last week that he was feeling a little under the weather and wanted a bit of a lie down. Last week? Last week-ish. I looked in on him a couple of days ago and he's lost his black-ish complexion and he's got a lovely greenish colour now. Green? Did you talk to him? No, no. You know what men are like when they're in a mood. Best wait for him to talk to me. How do you know he doesn't have the plague? Alleged. Alleged black plague. Well, he's not in the risk group now, is he? He don't eat olive oil or get too much exercise. He never bathes and city life don't distress him none. He don't? No, he just dreams of country living, my Roger, he does. That's it? We keep fresh-cut flowers in the house to keep out unpleasant smells that would make a plague. My son did plague in his trousers the other day. I did think I smelled something from his room a couple of days ago. But quick as down on a duck, I brought in more flowers. And now our hovel smells like a lovely indoor garden. We're perfectly safe. Well, if you ask me, the only way to avoid the plague is to hide from it. Hide from the plague? Oh, yes. It's a sneaky devil. It tracks you down and gets you. How do you hide from a plague? You disguise yourself. How? Wear a mask. A mask? It confuses the plague. And you came up with this. Not oh, the CDC. The CDC? The church demands compliance group. Well, I'm in then. But I know who I want my mask to look like. And that will be... The old poop. It wouldn't dare infect me then. Now I know why they're all about a black plague. Why? Bellman's Union. Bellman's Union? Yes. If there wasn't bad news, what would they go on about? Bellman's Union? You might have a point there. <coughs> oh, sounds like the sniffles. Well, remember, my Roger had a bad cough. You are <coughs> looking a little black around the gills. It'll be green soon, dearie. Yes, yes. And it's easy being green. <coughs> the fire is burning low now, and the train has not spent all its vile cargo yet this year. The only safe way is through, 
as we sit beneath its final resting place here on Earth. The rusted heap is as silent as the tomb. Keep your eyes peeled to the distant tracks as the transcontinental terror reaches its fever peak next week. Until then, my friends, good night. The Transcontinental Terror is the seasonal anthology series from the Mutual Audio Network and contains stories and frights from a variety of the world's leaders of audio drama, spectral sound, and tales of terror. See you next time on the Transcontinental. Have your tickets ready. It's bound to be a bumpy ride. week right here on sunday showcase on the mutual audio network you get a brand new episode of bells in the bat free for which we apologize however if for some reason you can't get enough bells in the bat free and after you've asked a professional therapist for help head over this way on fridays friday follies has all the old bells in the bat free going back to 2006 you know back in the prehistoric days when it sounded like this to get on the internet <laughs> anyway, if you want to catch the old ancient bells in the bat free, catch it on Friday Follies right here on the Mutual Audio Network. And we apologize in advance for that as well.